Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading today is taken from 1 Kings chapter 19, from verse 16b and verse 19 to 21. When I'm done reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. 1 Kings 19, verse 16b. Anoint Elisha, son of Saphat from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Saphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tomison. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you uh, for coming to join us in worship today. And um, I do hope that I mean, I felt the music team really blessed me, and I hope that we'll be able to, God will continue to bless us in the remaining part of the sermon. My name is Femi Oshunui. If you're watching with us for the first time, or you've not been here for a long time, we're so happy to have you. And um, we're still doing a series in uh, someone's life, someone that is quite um, significant in the Bible. His name is Elijah. Uh, the title of the series is A Man of Like Passions. And so, well, I won't say we've come to the end of it, but we're getting towards the finishing straight. So we're hoping that, um, you know, that uh, the, the, the series continues to be a blessing. All right, can we just pray and before we get into the word? Lord, we are so needful of you in every aspect of our lives. Um, we can do nothing without you. Uh, when we do have you, though, you are enough for us. When we don't have you, Lord, then we are empty. And now, more than ever, as we seek to enter into your word, we need you. I need you, Lord, to be able to speak the word that you laid in my heart from this passage. But everyone else needs you, God, for you to do something definite with what they hear. Father, I pray, O oh God, that there will be listening ears today. But I also pray, O oh God, that there will be willing hearts as well, and that they, you would as the hearts are willing, oh God, you'll bring transformation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a number of jobs. I have a number of jobs. Um, pastoring a church, yes. Do a bit of teaching with an academy, yes. But the toughest job I have in the whole world, without any, any, any um, controversy whatsoever, is called parenting. 
How many can identify with it? Half of the time, you have absolutely no idea. In fact, half care. Most of the time, you have absolutely no idea about what you are doing. Painting is really something that a lot of gamblers used to say. You know what they are like? Is this, this one can work. This one won't work. You are just trying your best. We are shooting and doing, putting things out there. But I'm not even sure whether it will work. We need the grace of God. Am I lying? Yes. Amen. I'm lying, Abby. Some, some people don't need... Some, for those who believe that we need the grace of God, can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Tywo, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. We all come for your grace. Now, so I was, I was doing some parenting duties this week. You know, I was taking my older song while watching a, a documentary on Michael Schumacher. I don't know how many of us have heard of Michael Schumacher, but he was a great uh, person in a sport called Formula One, where car, uh, racing, the fastest cars in the world. So I was watching um, a series on that, and I was now explaining to my older son, uh, Tofumi. <laughs> to my older son, Tofumi. And you know, one of the joys of parenting is this. Even though we don't always know what we are doing, you start to see the onset of particular human behaviors. So I was watching it, and Tofum was asking me some questions. So I was telling Tofumi, look, the three greatest drivers of all time, Michael Schumacher, were Michael Schumacher, Etienne Senna, and Lewis Hamilton. All right? So I was explaining that. I was also explaining some nuances of you know, race driving and everything. And so I was saying Michael Schumacher is one of the greatest guys and this documentary and all of that. So we're just talking a little bit. And Timmy was there. And Timmy noticed that he wasn't in the conversation. <laughs> and so at some point, I told for me, and now we're going to some technicalities. Timmy just said, Daddy, Daddy, he just looked at one driver that was just there. Is that the greatest driver in the world? <laughs> oh, what's Timmy doing? It was the early onset of one of our greatest human cravings. The need to matter. The need or the, the, the desire to feel significant. To be acknowledged. He ended up making a comment that didn't really make sense. But he just wanted us to know, I am here. I want to matter. And for many of us, I, I think in fact all of us, we crave that significance, to be seen as relevant, to be acknowledged as having mattered. And you see it in our work, you see it in our relationships, you see it on our social media platforms. That's why many of us didn't know what to do with our lives when Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp all shut down this week. But here's one thing that we also do when we crave significance. Very often, when we create this significance, we crave it in the here and the now. And you see, when we get the acknowledgement we crave, what happens? It's exhilarating. When people finally acknowledge and say, man, you did a good job. Or, man, your business is working so well. Or, you are just a fantastic guy. The counsel that you gave me was amazing. When we get that, it's exhilarating. But when we actually do not get it, when we put in the hard work, and then somebody says, what kind of nonsense is this? Or you give the counsel and they say, ah, thank you for your counsel. We now know how not to do things. <laughs> when, we don't, when we don't get the, knowledge, uh, the significance that we crave, it can be crushing. But like I said, what happens is that we all are looking for significance in the here and the now. 
But you know what? Very rarely do we seek significance beyond here and now. And that is much more important. You see, Elijah was a man of like passions, as we've said. And Elijah, too, was seeking significance. He was seeking significance in the now. Elijah had just won a great victory on Mount Carmel. And Elijah was hoping that because of that victory, there would have been a nationwide revival. Elijah, like most of us, would say, I'm just doing it for the glory of God. But he was like, for the glory of God, but God, let me be your lone instrument. And so when Elijah wrote that victory, eventually what happened? Nothing. And because of that, he was crushed. He entered into a state of depression, as we've seen before, and God eventually came, met him, revived him. And that's what we learned last week. Now, in a revived state, you know what God wanted to do with Elijah? He told Elijah and gave him the blueprint for how to be significant, not just in this life, but in the life to come. He showed him how to be significant, to live a life that outlived him. Question. Was that successful? You know how I know it was successful. Not only was Elijah read about centuries over centuries over centuries, but centuries and centuries later, in a city that did not exist in Elijah's time, in, within a community that did not exist in Elijah's time, under a religion that did not exist in Elijah's time, a couple of people have been for a number of weeks studying the life of Elijah as a man of like passions and it has been blessing them. God gave Elijah the blueprint for a life that would outlive him and God delivered on that promise. And I'm praying for anyone who has come in with an expectation today that God that did it for Elijah will do it for you today. God will give us the blueprint that delivers us from a life of mediocrity of seeking significance in the here and now and usher us into living into the life that would outlive us. I pray God will do that for us today. But more than anything, I pray that you will see that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the only place you can truly, fully get that life that enables you to outlive yourself. Amen? Amen. And so we've titled this sermon, A Life That Outlives You. And we're going to look at it under these three headings. Leading that matters, following that matters, and living that matters. I keep getting a little bit of feedback around here, so, when I, so just watch, watch it. Huh? So leading that matters, following that matters, and leave, living that matters. So let's get into the passage. All right. So leading that matters. First one. Now, we, as I said, we've seen Elijah's story up until now. He's a prophet who was used to achieve great things. Expectations were dashed. God came and re revived him. And now, God, having revived him, told Elijah to go and do certain things. Chief of which was... As we saw in, um, who read? Who read? Who read? Tomisin read. As we saw in Tomisin's reading, at the very beginning, verse 16, God told him, go and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mehola, to succeed you as what? Prophet. God told Elijah, Elijah go and anoint your successor. Mm. And this is absolutely important for all of us. How many of us think about this word, legacy? Legacy. What is going to be your legacy? Now, often when we think about it, we think about somebody doing an interview with a significant personality who has now come into their 
twilight zone, and they often end with this question. What, is, what do you want your legacy to be? And so many of us are thinking, well, I'm not in that twilight zone of my life yet. Why should I be thinking about legacy? Now, I want us to look at a passage that we, of, we very well know. It's in the book of Proverbs. Very well know. Listen to what it says. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Now, many of us say, ah, this has nothing to do with me yet because I am not yet 55 or 60. When I get to that twilight zone, then I will be thinking about the inheritance that I want to pass on. But if you look at this passage very deeply and how the Bible thinks about it, you will see that we have been thinking about this wrongly. You see, because first of all, most of us would think the inheritance is the material possession that we are passing on. It includes that, but it is not just that. It's an accumulation of all that we have, whether spiritually, whether intellectually, whether inspirationally, and yes, of course, materially. That is the inheritance that we gather, and that is the inheritance that we are going to pass on. But here is the thing about it. Unlike Elijah, who is about, who is at the point where he has to pass on all of his inheritance, most of us are at least at the point, hear this, most of us are at the point where we are building up that inheritance. Elijah, yes, is going to pass on something. But he had to pass on something that he has been building. In other words, when we talk about what Proverbs is saying about a good person uh, giving a, a passing on an inheritance, the question is this. What inheritance are you building? This is why the word legacy matters to you now. Because, yes, you may not be passing on something, but you are building that which you are meant to pass on. So, the question to you is this. Are you living a life that is worthy of being passed on? Are you building up a life that is worthy of being passed on? Now, apart from building that legacy, I also want to broaden our understanding of the word passing on. So, we've broadened the view of what an inheritance is but also what passing on looks like. Because while at death, it is true, everything that you have eventually must have been passed on, right? Whilst at death, it is true. But it is not true that it is only at death we keep passing on things. In fact, in our lifetime, we should be passing on things as well within this broader scope of inheritance that I'm talking about. We are already accumulating things. You don't have to wait until you know. In fact, most of us don't even know when we are going to die. And so we are actually passing on things, or we should be passing on things within our lifetime. You know what that is called? Two words. Leadership development. That which you have received, how are you passing it on? That inheritance that you are accumulating over the entire part of your life, how are you passing it on? This is what Elijah was trying to show us. This is what God was saying Elijah to pass on to Elisha. And I'll show you that the task of leadership development, which is really a task of passing on that which you have that would then outlive you, the task of leadership development, Elijah shows it to us that it's a three-step process. What is that? Identify, develop, release. Identify, develop, release. Let's start with the first one. Identify. Notice in verse 16 and verse 19, it says this. God told Elijah, go and anoint Elisha, right? Who told Elijah to go and anoint Elisha? God. God. 
Then in verse 19, it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. What is going on there? In trying to identify the person that you are going to pass things on to, it is a mixture of the human and the divine. It is not a competition. It is not one of them solely. It is a mixture of the human and the divine. God says, Elijah, go and anoint. Elijah still has to go and locate the, who Elisha is. Are you following me? And so when we think about the human and the divine, don't think about it in one way alone. Think about the divine. For instance, Elijah heard from God. He definitely heard from God. He got a prophetic word from God. But that is not the only way the divine works. Sometimes it may work through a prophetic, a dream, or what have you. But it can also work through what we call providence. I'll give you an example. The Elijah Elisha one is famous. Let me give you another famous leader and discipleship, uh, disciple, um, leader and follower uh, thing from the Bible. In the New Testament, we have Paul and Timothy. How did Paul meet Timothy? In Acts chapter 16, here's how Paul met Timothy. He was going on on his own business. He was going on a missionary journey. And he says when he came to Derby and then to Lystra, where, the disciples, uh, where a disciple named Timothy happened to live, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Second verse. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Paul was busy doing his business. And somehow, by divine providence, God brought Timothy near him. And people spoke well of him. Another question. Why did people speak well of him? It was in verse 1. It says his mother was what? A believer. His mother was involved in training. And not just his mother. If you now read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Take us 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If we read 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. It says, I am reminded. This is Paul talking to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in who? Your grandmother, Lois. And in your mother, what? Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives what? In you. Question. Do you think that Lois and Eunice had to hear a prophetic um, voice or have a dream to say, Lois, Eunice, I am giving you a son, an Abraham son called Timothy. He shall be great and you shall anoint and train him up. No, they just read Proverbs. Train up a child in the way you should go. You see, in the divine, there are the people that, in the human, there are the people that you happen to meet and there are the people that you go and meet. The child was just there. The grandchild was just there. And what were they meant to do? They were meant to what? Train him. So they identified this is somebody that we are meant to train. Are you following what I'm saying? It doesn't only have to happen with this prophetic insight or something or a dream or an impression. Those are there and God can use that. But I'm saying that around you, God has already placed people in your sight. Within your sight, you must identify them. So for some of us, it is first and foremost your children. For others, it is going to be the people that work with you, your subordinates. For others, it's going to be the people that you are in church with. And you can do this differently. And I'll get to that in the second part. But first, we must identify people. Now, remember I said that some you happen to meet. Paul happened to meet Timothy. Lois and Eunice happened to meet Timothy. But by the time Paul is saying, Timothy, now, it's time for you to do what I did for you. He did not say the people you happen to meet. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says this. The things that you have learned of me commit unto faithful men or faithful or reliable men that are able to teach others as well. Do you see what he's saying? 
He's saying now, you need, you as you are a, as a leader in the church, you need to be looking out for people. Not just waiting for who God is going to put on my lap. Now you should be looking out for people. He said, look out for reliable people. And so that the things that I have given you, give unto them. The first step in passing on an inheritance is first for you to identify. This is how you live a life that outlives you. Second is then what happens, you need to develop. Now, in verse 19, he said, when Elijah found Elisha, what did he do? He threw his cloak around him. He threw his cloak around him. Now, don't misunderstand that the succession didn't happen there. The succession didn't happen there because he had not left. Elijah had not left. What happened was he had identified him. He had let him know that he was going to be his successor. Elisha understood what that meant by putting the cloak on him. But what that only triggered was that he made Elisha a candidate now to be trained. He wasn't just going to become that successor. He now became a candidate, what? To be trained. Now he was going to walk with Elijah very closely. So when you've identified people that, or a person that you meant to pass this thing on, you need to ask yourself two questions. Two questions. What are they? What, what do I see this person becoming? One. What do I see this person becoming? Two, what am I meant to pass on to that person to make them become that? What do I see this person becoming? And what do I need to pass on to this person to ensure that they become that? Or at least to put them on the road that becomes that. Are we together? So now your training has a certain level of direction because this will then determine what kind of relationship, what kind of proximity that you will have with the person? Because, listen, your leadership development cannot be the same for every, kind, every person. It can't be the same for every person. Elijah had a school of prophets. But he also had, what? Elisha. So, with the school of prophets, he comes and disciples them, he teaches them, he gives them rudiments, and by the time he's finished, oh yeah, Elisha, let's start going. So many of us, you have to be thinking this way. With the small leadership, whatever, that God has given me, I can't have close relationship to everybody. But first, I must first say, who has God happened to put in my way? Or who do I feel led to? And then you say, okay, these people are going to be close. But then there's also the church. And I'm like, okay, how do I disciple those? Oh, there's teaching through this. Oh, then there's the academy. Oh, there are classes through that. And in the same way, you have your children who are close to you. Maybe you have to think, who are the people I need to be meeting weekly with? Who are the people I need to be meeting uh, daily with? Who are the people I need to be meeting monthly with? Maybe your kids are the ones you have to be training daily. I try to at least have devotions with my children daily. Who are the people you need to be meeting weekly with? Maybe those are your work colleagues. Maybe the team that you are meeting and you have uh, meetings with them every week. Who are the people you need to be meeting monthly with? Maybe that person in church that you've identified that God wants you to then start to disciple. But you cannot do the things the same way. So ask yourself those two questions. Elijah had the school of prophets, but you also had what? Elisha. And sometimes you say, how do I pass this on to them? With some people, you know what? It's as simple as one-on-one -on -one meetings, let's just gist what has been going on in your life, and you provide counsel. With some people, you are actively, because of maybe what you do, you are taking them through a curriculum, and you are going through that with them. With some people, you are discussing a book that you read with them. 
With some people, maybe you are doing case studies with them. With some people, you are just doing Q&A with them. It doesn't matter. Listen, guys, because all of us have people that God must have put in our way, you cannot renege on the task of developing. Who are you developing that you've identified? Now, if we are doing that, that brings us to the third part. Release. Release. Now, in verse 15 and 16, which we read last week, you will see that it wasn't just Elisha that God told to a grand anoint. Do you remember? Do you remember? Yeah. Verse 15 and 16, he told him first, anoint Je um, uh, Hazel, king of Aram, to be king of Aram. Anoint Jehu to be king of what? Israel, and then anoint what? Elisha. Now, what happened? Did he do? As far as we are, we read in the whole whatever, we don't see that he did Hazel and he did Jehu. We only see Elisha. So what then happened? This part is really exciting. If you read in the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings, here's what happened. In 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 9, you have an encounter not with Elijah. Elijah is no longer on the scene. You have an encounter with Elisha. What happened? A man, the king of Aram, was very sick. Very, very sick. And he wanted to know, am I going to recover? So he needed a man of God to tell him. So he sent one of his servants to go and meet Elisha to find out whether he will recover. Do you know the name of that servant? He's called Hazael. So Hazael now goes to meet Elisha. And as he sees Elisha, Elisha tells him a cryptic message. He said, go and tell your king. He will recover. But I know he's also going to die. And then he stops. And he starts looking at Hazael. Looking at him, looking at him. In fact, the text says that eventually it was, he was looking at him so much that it became embarrassing. Then he now started crying. He started crying. So at one point, Hazael said, why are you... Why are you doing? What, what's going on? He now said, because God has shown me what you are going to do to the people of Israel. God has shown me what you will do to the mothers and to the children and to all of this. In other words, he was saying that God has shown me that you are going to be the king of Aram that is going to oppress Israel. Are you understanding? He said that night, he went back, spoke to his king, told him he recovered the king, recovered, and then he now carried the pillow and then suffocated the king. And that is how Hazel became what? King of Aram. In other words, it was the encounter with Elijah, Elisha, not Elijah, that precipitated that. The second one was this, in 2 Kings chapter um, uh, 9, verses 1 to 3. Elisha told one of his other prophets, go, take a flask, go and anoint Jehu, who was a commander in the army. Go and anoint him, what? King of Israel. Are you seeing what's going on? Releasing is not just about telling people, delegating and telling them what to do. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, notice, God told Elijah to go and anoint these three people. Elijah only anointed one, and then the other two were then put into the place that they were meant to be put in, not by Elijah, but by what? Elisha. In other words, at this point, Elijah's life and his ministry was now outliving him through what? Elisha. In other words, when you come to the place of release, it is the place where the inheritance has now been passed on to a, in, uh, it has now been passed on to somebody else that then outlives what God had called you to do. This is the final point of when you say, yes, my life is beginning to outlive me. May the Lord cause people uh, us to identify and develop people that will be the instrument to enable our lives to outlive us. 
I don't know how many of us, and maybe you put the picture up, I don't know how many of us have heard of this man. His name is Bob Buford. Bob Buford. This man is one of the most inspirational people that I've ever heard about. Bob Buford started, had a life of tragedy. He lost his father when he was in the fifth grade. He lost his mother in the fire. He lost his only son at the age of 24 through drowning. An absolute tragic life. But he also had a bit of a fortunate life. Because his mom had built up their cable business to a, a significant point, and then he took over and really built it up to, you know, took it to another level. And so he made a ton of money. He was a very wealthy man. But somewhere around the age of 40-something, and you find this in his book called Second Half, Half Time, he realized he wanted to do something more than just be in the cable business. So he sold the entire business. And then he wanted to use the wealth that he got from that to make a huge difference in the kingdom of God. What was it he wanted to do? The first thing he did was he gathered a group of people and said, I had a mentor. That mentor is in the back of, can you see in the picture, the back of the picture. The writings of this mentor, most people don't have, and I want to use it to bless the church. It's not really within the church, but it's going to help the church, because I do believe that God has particularly taken this man and given him enough wisdom and knowledge. And so he set up what we call the Peter Drucker Institute. His mentor was a guy called Peter Drucker. How many of us have heard of him? Peter Drucker is probably the most famous leadership and management guru of the 20th century. And it was through that he then started to identify certain key people that God led him to and started to introduce Drucker's teachings and things like that. And he was mentoring these guys. And these people brought, basically shook the entire church world. It was through that that what we call the mega church movement started. One of the people that he was talking about that he identified was a guy called Rick Warren. How many of us have heard that name? Yeah, he happened to sell a book that's the most highest selling Christian book after the Bible, A Purpose Driven Life. He identified a guy called Bill Hybels. How many of, heard, of, of us have heard that name? Now, don't get me wrong. The mega church movement has its foibles. It has its, you know, there are things that it didn't do well. But by and large, by and large, most of us, most of us are impacted by that movement. Whether you believe it or not, let me tell you, this church will not even exist without mega church movement because it's particularly some mega churches that are even supporting us. Do you understand? Right? It brought a kind of thinking to say, ah, people, my, my life cannot just be, give your life to Jesus, go and wait for the rapture. Like, I need to be thinking, there are other things to think about, there are other ways to apply this thing. It was because of this. He eventually, through some of those guys, they set up something called the Leadership Network, the largest network of, of leaders around the world. They set up something called the Global Leadership Summit, which is the largest network of Christian leaders all around the world. They set up something called Exponential, which is the largest conference of church planters in the entire world. Tosa and I have attended one of the conferences. They set up so many things. And they asked him, why do you do all of this? What is your gain in it? Do you know what he said? I will never forget his comment. He said, my fruit grows on other people's trees. At some point, yes, the seed that he had poured out, he said, I don't want to live this life. In fact, he was famous for saying this. I want the, the last check that I write. I want it to bounce. 
because I have put everything I have towards the kingdom of God. His famous line was to find a leader and say, you can do it. How can I help? Today, his fruit is growing not only on Rick Warren and all of these people, through many, many, many churches. Why? Because he found someone, he identified, he developed, and then he released. Listen, I pray that God will use us to be people like Bob Buford. I pray that God will enable us to see that our fruit can grow on other people's trees. I pray that God will release an anointing upon all of us here so that we live for a significance that is not just for this life, but a life beyond us. Because you see, listen, I can show you a cursed man. A cursed man is somebody that accumulates and never passes on. That is a cursed man. As far as the Bible is concerned, that is somebody that just brings something and never passes on. But who is a blessed man? Who is a man that has significance? It is not, you see, a life of significance is not one of accumulation. It is one of passing on. May the Lord give us that kind of mindset in the name of Jesus. Now that takes me to the second point. And I, won't, I don't want you to miss out a very, very significant part of this text. It's at the end. It's a simple sentence. Then he set out, verse 21, to follow Elijah and became what? His servant. Let me summarize it. Elisha followed Elijah. Simple. Elisha followed what? Elijah. Let's say it together. Elisha followed Elijah. I don't know if you've ever met people who sometimes are difficult to work with, are difficult to get along with. They have upset, broken many different relationships here and there. And when you ask them why, they'll say people just don't understand them. People are just not trying to get Like, how many people? Let me give you a simple test to know whether it is the people or not. Because the people that you're, they're your peers, they're always arguing, they don't see your point of view. Simple test. Who follows you? Who follows you? That is, who looks at you and says, I want to learn something from this person. I want to follow this person for a period of time. Who follows you? Because if all your peers have misunderstood you, surely the people that are coming back, there must be one or two of them that must see something in you to follow. If they are not following you, then that means that the problem is not with them. The problem is with you. And the big problem here is that those people do not understand the value of followership. They don't understand what? The value of followership. Write this down. Never forget this. Write this down. Whether it's in your head, whether it's on your iPad or whatever. It's a very simple statement. The best leaders are simultaneously the best followers. You want to live a life that outlives you. You want to become that kind of leader that, right, that would live a life that outlives you. Learn how to follow. Learn the value of what? Followership. Elisha followed what? Elijah. He knew the cost of followership, and a lot of us and a lot of people don't know the cost uh, the value of followership. We only know the cost. Let me explain. Now look at verse 20 to 21. Look at verse 20 to 21. It says something about this. It says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plow equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Now, 
if you've been studying the Bible just for a little while, this passage reminds you of another passage. It's in the New Testament. It was Jesus that saw a person in Luke chapter 9, verse 61 to 62. Listen to what happened. Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And what did Jesus say? Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. So many people have read this Elisha's um, um, reaction and said Elisha wasn't doing very well. But let me quickly clarify that. That Elisha didn't respond well. It is similar language, similar context, but a different disposition. The Luke 9 guy and Elisha are different. You see, the Luke 9 guy, Jesus, Jesus explains in verse 62 about his heart disposition. His heart disposition was not one of total commitment. His heart disposition was one of double-mindedness. You see, he had sort of put his, how, his, his hand on the plow, the plow of the kingdom, the plow of following Jesus. He put it, and then like, ah, I think I need to quickly go back. It wasn't, you see, his going back to say goodbye was not a sign of his commitment. It was a sign of his hesitancy. Are you following? Now, go back to Elisha. Elisha is putting his own plow on his own work, his own inheritance. It was 12. Elisha's family was doing well. They were probably an upper middle class family. Do you understand? And now when Elisha is telling him, I want to go back. Notice what Elisha did when he went back. He took all of the things and he what? Destroyed them. In fact, he started the oxen. Then he used the plow, right, as firewood to do what? So with the Luke 9 guy, what happened? He knew his, his own going back was, a, it was an evidence of his of the obstacle to his commitment. But whereas with Elisha, his going back was an evidence of his saying goodbye, it was an evidence of his own total commitment. Do we see the difference? The Luke 9 guy knew the cost of discipleship. Oh my, I have to leave these people and follow Jesus, but he didn't know the value of it. Elisha knew not just the cost, but he also knew the value. If you only know the cost of followership, you will keep thinking about what it is that I am going to lose, the thing that I have to give. But if you know the value of followership, you will be thinking about the thing that you have to gain. Do you understand? If you find someone that God has said, this is a godly person, follow this person. And the person says, wake up at this time. The person says, read this book. The person says, do this thing, submit this, whatever. Don't say, oh, this person is suffering me. Look at the value of followership. And stop counting the cost because it always pays off better. Amen. Amen. I see that because that also reminds me of another guy that Jesus spoke about. Well, he didn't speak about that. Actually, Jesus encountered this man. This man was a man, he was a centurion who had a servant that was sick. He led a hundred people in the Roman army. And then he went to meet Jesus. Please help me with this person uh, to heal this person. And just, okay, I'll come. He said, You don't have to come. Just send the word. And what was the basis upon which he said that? He says this, Luke verse eight, uh, Luke chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 9. He said, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does this. Do you notice what he said? I am a man under authority. But when he says I'm a man under authority, he did not say they tell me to go, and I go. They tell me to come. And I come. He said, I am a man under authority, and I tell my soldiers to go here and go there. Do you understand what he's getting at? I am a man under authority, and I am a man with authority. 
I, am a, I was given authority because I learned how to deal under authority. Listen to me. What is a bad leader? I'll tell you who a bad leader is. A bad leader is a bad follower that was happened to giving authority. People that don't know how to follow, when they are given power, they always misuse the power. The best leaders are always what? The best followers. I am a man under authority. I was a follower. And I am also a man with authority. If you want to learn how to be a good leader, please learn how to be a good follower first. That's why we did a series a couple of years ago called Leadership and Followership. You should check it out. It's not bad. Now, I say this because if you want to observe how people think about leadership, how think people think about what they want to become, whether they are going to achieve it, observe how they think about authority. And I particularly want to say that in this day and age, because this thing is being questioned, it's being pushed at in so many different uh, dimensions, not just in the generation coming, but in the generation that all of us are already in. How do people think about authority and service? Let me tell you. Elisha, don't forget, he came from an upper middle class family. You saw he was doing very well. Eh? In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, at one point the king of Judah came to Israel and he asked him, is there no prophet here that can give us the word of the Lord and all that? Then one of the officers now said, 2 Kings 3, 11. It's not there. Two Kings, one of the officers then said this. Notice how they describe Elijah. He said, Elisha, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He left a fantastic business. And what's his description? He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Hey, hey, Elisha, come here. I want to wash my hand. Most of us will find that demeaning. Most of us will say that, oh, this thing can be, uh, it can be abused. Uh, this thing, uh, 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 maybe it can uh, be used. It's toxic. I'm really very serious here. There is a total, listen to me, listen to me. I hate abuse. I hate injustice. I believe in systemic abuse. There is that. I believe that certain places are toxic to work. Do you understand me? I am not saying that there's nothing wrong there, but, but you have to have the balance between rights and responsibilities. We, many times people won't talk about their rights, their rights, their rights. Now we're at a point where your rights are now trampling on rules right now. Your rights does not come with any kind of responsibility. And this is where JFK was absolutely on, on, on point with this. JFK, former uh, American president, he said this. He said, our privileges can be no greater than our obligations. He said, the protection of our rights can endure no longer than the performance of our responsibilities. You can't have one without having the other. Listen, it is, not every, uh, it is not every rebuke you get from your boss that is an abuse. It is not every time your boss delegates something to you that it signifies that your boss is lazy. It is not every time that your boss delivers the speech or the presentation that you wrote and they delivered it as their own that is intellectual theft. This is not. It is the value of followership. You do it for them, somebody will do it for you too. Am I speaking truth here? Yeah. There has to be a balance between how we think about rights and what? How we think about responsibilities. So many people in fighting for their rights, fighting for their rights, they told me to do this thing, they told me to do this thing. You are complaining, complaining. Eventually, they will move on to something else. Then you will now say they didn't promote me. Because you shouted for your right, your right, your right. Okay, fine. Your right has got you demotion. How, how about that now? Don't forget that when Paul 
When Paul, I love this, that Acts 16, 1 to 2. Do you know what Paul said in verse 3? He said, Paul wanted to take Timothy. Paul wanted. It's like he wanted to take Timothy along with him on the journey. Why? It is because Timothy was well spoken of. Are you well spoken of as a follower? Do people speak well about you? I'll give you an example. I had someone in this place who is one of my most significant tires, right? Pelumi. Everybody knows Pelumi. You, you think she's significant in this church? Yes. Yeah. Pelumi was not looking for a job. Do you know how I had Pelumi? Two people came to meet me and said, you need to hire her. She's really good. She, you need to hire her. Mama P. Mama P. <laughs> she was Pelumi then. And after she's delivered on all the work, she's now Mama P. She's been elevated. She was well spoken of. When you are well spoken of as a follower, that sets you up to be the kind of leader that will then have a life that outlives you. You cannot want to be a leader without first being a follower. I am a man under authority and that is why I have authority. May the Lord enable us to see the value of followership. May the Lord give you the teachability and the humility that enables you to stand on the platform that now may ensure that you can become the leader that he's called you to be. Because let me tell you this thing. If you do this secret, if you do this, it bears rewards. It bears fruit. It bears what? Absolute fruit. How can I show you? It has to do with a king called Jeroboam. Jeroboam's father was called Jehoash. Jeroboam, the son of what? Jehoash. Let's say that together. Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash. Now, question. No, I didn't say you should bring it up yet. Question. Elijah's ministry, we know the fruit. He had sons of prophets, but Elijah's ministry outlived him through who? Elijah. Success. It outlived him. You saw how he anointed all of those people. Right? It outlived him. But now we said Elijah poured his, the water on Elijah's hands. What fruit does that bring? Remember I said, true what? Followership will lead to what? True leadership. Now, if you read the book of Kings, what you always find out is that you have the kings and they are paired with the prophets of their time. The kings are paired with the prophets of their time. So you see this king and you see this prophet who prophesied during this time. Do you understand? So Elijah, we know, prophesied during the time of Ahab and Ahab's son, Joram, right? Now, in Elisha's own time, Elisha then went from Joram and then he prophesied in a time of Jehoash. So Elisha died in the time of Jehoash, or no, sorry, Jehoash died before him and eventually they went. So the king that succeeded Jehoash was who? Jeroboam. But Elijah had passed on. But do you think Elijah had any successor? What is the value of all this followership? Now open 2 Kings chapter 13 for me. 2 Kings 14 verse 23. Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and he reigned what? 41 years. Next, 25. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamah to Deti in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through who? Jonah what? Elisha had school of prophets. But look at Jonah. A significant prophet. Do we not have a book of Jonah? Do we not have a book of Jonah? So you see Elijah, Elisha, and now you know what he was? Jonah. It doesn't end there. Next one. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Barry, during the reign of who? Son of? Oh, my God. It's true. 
Everything are double-double. No, it gets better. Next verse, Amos chapter 1. The words of Amos, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, where who? May the Lord cause you to be fruitful. May the Lord cause your fruit to go on other people's trees. Elijah had Elisha succeed him. But because Elisha poured water on the hand of Elijah, God did not just give him one prophet to actually succeed him. God gave him what? Three prophets. I said, I pray that the spirit of humility will rest upon us. That we can become the kind of followers that God wants us to be. And that he will give us the reward of that followership in the name of Jesus Christ. The best leaders are also simultaneously the what? Best followers. That leads me to my third point real quick. Because some may say, ah. while this sermon may be helpful for some people, it's actually really bad for me. You know why? You know why? I've been a terrible follower. I've been a terrible follower. Now you just convicted me. I've been a terrible follower, and I fear that my opportunity to live a life that outlives me has actually passed. Some other people here are saying, I've been a bad leader. In fact, I have not passed on any kind of inheritance in a way, in an intentional way, to ensure that I would live a life that outlives me. And I'm scared that I've passed off the opportunity to live a life that will outlive me. And I understand. I can understand how disappointing it can be. I can understand how hopeless that can feel. I can understand how you are now thinking about how you've wasted your opportunities to actually count, to make your life count, to make your life matter, to have a life of significance. And you feel like now that opportunity has passed on you. Can I tell you, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Because God still has one more joker. God always has one more joker for us. Amen? Amen. And if, I want you to think with me a little bit. Why do I say don't lose hope? Think with me a little bit. Someone will say something like this, and it's true. Will our lives ultimately count if at some point we no longer exist? Because think about it, even the people who have done well, you've passed on something. They remember you in one generation. By the second generation, some people don't really know. Even your own grandchildren may not know you. How many of you know the, great, your, the name of your great-grandfather? The name. Most of us don't. By the third generation, I've, I've been forgotten. So, I live the life that outlived me, but only to two or three generations. At the end of the day, does it really matter if I actually die? So, myself... And the person who has done, not done very well, both of us are still in the same boat after three generations. To we, the people that have not done well, I say, ah, amen. No. Can I tell you that? You can still count and you can still matter. And you say, wait, but I just said, I don't understand this thing about what if I die? And you say, that reminds me of a guy called Job who asked a jam question in the Bible. In Job chapter 14, you know what he said? If a man dies, shall he live again? Because ultimately, if I don't live again, will I count? I may count from one generation to the other, but will I count? If a man dies, shall he what? Live again. Because without that, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, listen to me, you don't count. So if a man dies, shall he do what? 
live again. Well, Job was allowed to fantasize a little bit. You see, he was suffering. And so his mind was going in certain places. He didn't have anything to live for again. So he might as well just have fantasized. And he said, all of my life, what is going to happen? Please put it there. All the days of my heart service, I will wait for my renewal to come. Job was saying, there's a renewal that will come. There's a place where I'll get that renewal. And that place, I'll get to that place when God calls. He will call me out from the grave. Verse 15, he says, you will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature of your hands that have been made. And you look at it and you say, well, Job is probably just fantasizing. Will this thing happen? Will I actually get this life? Will I get to that place of renewal? Where is that place of renewal? And I'm just going to ask you for, to indulge me a little bit. Because I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic. I remember a song that was sung by the staple singers, but then was made much more popular. It was covered by BB and CC Winans. It was talking about that place of renewal. It says, I know a place, y'all, where ain't nobody crying. Ain't nobody what? Worried. Ain't no smiling faces lying to the races. There is a place of renewal where there is no pretension. There is a place of renewal where your life can count. There is a place where all things will be made perfect. There is a place where you will get the significance that you come. Job was not just fantasizing because these guys were singing. Where is that place you say? How do I get to that place? Maybe I don't deserve getting there. I can't take myself there. You are very right. You cannot take yourself there. That's why in the song they then anticipate that and they say that you need help to get there. You can't get yourself there. So guess what? I'll take you there. You can't take, you can't fix your life. You can't get to that place. You can't do it on your own. Guess what? You need to be taken there. So they said, I'll take you there. But guess what? Bibi can't take you there. Sissy can't take you there. Your best leader cannot take you there. Your best follower cannot take you there. Your mother's inheritance can't take you there. No one can take you there except one person that can take you there. He is the exemplary follower of all followers. He is the leader of all leaders. What do I mean by that? God sent Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came to there, do you know what he said? He said, I am an extreme follower to the core of my father. As my father works, I also work. I do no other thing than what my father is doing. And his father then told him, you have to go to the cross. Why do you have to go to the cross? Because there are some people that I want to take there. Oh, God is going to take some people there in the name of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and he was that humble servant. He laid on the cross and died to take away our sins so that he can take us there. You say, but what was the price of that? I thought he was a great leader. What was the price of that? Where is his significance? Guess what? He did not remain dead. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, he says, because he, was, he laid his life down, God has then resurrected him. And God has now made him the most significant leader of all leaders. Listen to what he said. Let's read it together. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ, what? Is Lord. God made him who was the greatest follower to become the greatest leader. And if you now trust in him, guess what? He will take you there. So I'm talking to somebody today. If you have been a bad follower and you feel like your life can never outlive you, Jesus is saying to you, I will take you there. If you have been a bad leader who has not passed on your inheritance in a good way, you're thinking, what hope is there for me? Jesus is telling you right now, I will take you there. And if you have come to that place of commitment and you put your hand, your hand on the plow of the kingdom and you're saying, how can I move? Jesus is saying what? I will take you what? There. Hallelujah.
And why is that so important for us? Because listen, if Jesus makes you free, you are free indeed. If Jesus, if you put your hope in Jesus, well, Job's answer is answer, Job's question is answered in the affirmative. If a man dies, shall he live again? Jesus says, there is a cross that proves that and there's an empty grave that puts that proves that and so now in jesus christ if you know that your life already counts it already counts guess what you can start again you can start again no matter where you fail from you can start again why because now you are not following to try to, to make your life count your life already counts amen now you are not trying to lead and pass on your inheritance to make your life count. Why? Because your life already counts. You are not trying to make your life count. You are living a life that already counts. So go forth in your followership. Go forth in your leadership in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because only Jesus can take us there. Let's rise on our feet. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.